Welcome to Five Dubs by MDDC Press. I'm your host, Rebecca Snyder, the Executive Director of the Maryland, Delaware, and DC Press Association, which represents news media in our region. Five Dubs focuses on the who, what, when, where, and why of local news media. We'll talk with the journalists about the stories behind the news. You can find more information about our guests in the show notes or on our website, www.5-dubs.com. Welcome to Five Dubs. I'm your host, Rebecca Snyder. And today in the studio, we have Andy Schatz of Bethesda Beat and Luciana Perez Uribe Guinassi, who is MDDC's fearless public policy intern and a graduate student at the University of Maryland. And we're here to talk about the Sunshine Week project that they pulled together for MDDC. Um, It is Sunshine Week, which is a national celebration of open records and transparency. And each year, MDDC does a collaborative project through the state of Maryland that that examines government transparency. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. Good to be here. Yes, thank you. Now, um, why don't I have each of you introduce yourselves? Andy, do you want to, as our kind of senior member of the team, would you like to introduce yourself and, and talk a little bit about what you do? Sure. Currently, I am the managing editor of Bethesda Beat, which is an online news site. We're covering Montgomery County, and we are connected to Bethesda Magazine. I've been there for uh, about a year and a half. Before that, I have worked in newsrooms throughout Maryland, including the Herald Mail in Hagerstown. I've been at the Frederick News Post, and I was at the Gazette chain of weeklies before it folded. Yeah. Okay, thank you. You've been around for a long time and a huge supporter of, of the association. Luciana, you've you've not been with us that long, but you've been critical in this project. So tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so I joined MDDC Press as the intern early December. And since then, I've been helping track some bills and I've gotten involved with just the overall mission of open government and transparency. I study a master's degree in journalism at the University of Maryland College Park, and there I'm also a Howard Center fellow where we do some month-long investigations on a variety of topics such as worker safety, homelessness, and more. Wonderful. So uh, tell me a little bit about the project and, and what you were hoping to find out. Sure. I'll, I'll start with that. We, we do try to think about open government throughout the year, but we have a particular focus as Sunshine Week comes along. What type of record or practice would we like to examine? And the Press Association has done different things. We looked at government websites throughout the state one year. We looked at police records and how they charged very large fees compared to every other type of record. This year, we we thought something related to the pandemic and the challenges of government providing open records and responding to requests. So what we came up with is a look at what have the response times been? And in order to do that, we decided to not just ask them what's it been like, but to get hard evidence. So we put in PIA requests to 31 different agencies, local, county, state, and school boards, and ask them 
to tell us the number of requests they've gotten during the pandemic period. And then two years prior, um, so we also wanted to know what their average response time was. That's proved to be a challenge. And we'll talk a little bit more about great. Great. So Luciana, you, I feel like did a lot of the footwork of like just grinding through those, those requests. Can you talk a little bit about sort of what that experience is like and how that matches up with some of your other investigatory experiences? Yeah. So I filed the records request in early February for those 31 agencies. And um, like Andy said, we were looking at PIA requests um, each organization had received, the average response time and longest response time um, the organizations had to fill records requests. And so we did that for three different periods, March through end of the year 2020, basically just the COVID responses throughout the years. Um, But basically I got a chance to deal with a lot of public information officers and they all had really different ways of responding. So a, I believe it was a total of five organizations provided the majority of the data that we were looking for. The rest either did not reply in some cases, like the Department of Education. I never received a response at all to multiple calls and the records requests. And then certain organizations as well just requested time extensions or provided very limited data. A few of them such as Howard County, I believe it was, provided the raw format data. So they did provide Mm -hmm. something, but it would mean that we would have to then do do the data analysis and do more work. So it was a patchwork of responses and it was a lot of following up and it was not as simple as I believe it should have been. Sure. So now, like, how does that compare or stack up to some of the other requests for records or, or investigative work that you've done in the past? I mean, you're working at the Howard Center, Luciana, so you, you have, you know, it's not like you're just kind of walking in green. Did this surprise you that there was such a patchwork or, or that people didn't kind of know what they had? No, I have had really good experiences with certain organizations, but the majority of times you have to continually contact public information officers and ask them what is going on with my request? When should I expect this? And in certain cases, the state public information laws are not really followed 100%. So I've had scenarios where I filed a record request and have not received a response. I have emailed saying that, you know, in any case, I would like to speak to their supervisor or just get some form of help and it doesn't happen. So it can be really complicated and you really have to be on top of it. You have to know the law sometimes. And that has been my experience with records requests. So that's just my experience, but I imagine it's the same for a lot of journalists around the nation. So I'm, I'm seeing Andy, we're, we're doing this on Zoom, so I get to see everybody. And I'm seeing Andy shake his head yes and nod. So Andy, like what's your experience? You've done these sort of large scale records requests as part of the MDDC project for a couple of years, but yet you're also, you know, you're managing a team of reporters that's, that's using public records right. every day. So how does this experience stack up? 
Well, what Louisiana says is, is, is true about the variation that you can get. I mean, we have variation within our own county, Montgomery County, trying to get records from the county, trying to get records from the school system, and then some of the municipalities. They treat it very differently, and they treat it differently depending on who is in that role. I remember a project that I, we did at the Gazette I guess this would be about six years ago, where we wanted to find out the types of requests that each government was getting. So it was a PIA of the PIAs. And it's fascinating because you see what people look for. You see what the kinds of things journalists are looking for. I mean, it's a little trick. You want to know what somebody else is working on, put in a PIA for their PIAs. And you, you, you're entitled <laughs> to it. We found a real range of responses, but it was pretty good, especially for six years ago. As far as the charges, the school system, I remember at the time, handed over hundreds, possibly thousands of records printed and said, there's no charge. This is in the public. And that's astounding. We ran into a, a local government that handed over a lot of things electronically, and that's a real key. There's, so there's there's tips that you need to pick up. One is I would like everything electronic if it's available, which it should be. And that eliminates the charge factor, the cost. And cost mm-hmm. is a barrier. We put in requests in, in the school system in Montgomery County, and we're told, okay, send us a couple hundred dollars. Well, we're not going to do it. And we don't think we should have to. So that's part of the variation is who you can talk to, you can trust and develop a relationship so that they know what you're looking for and that you're not out to just hound them with requests, but you're looking for something specific. Mm -hmm. So it almost seems like journalists, of course, are professional users of the Public Information Act. I always like to, to say that, you know, we don't have anything special about us, except many journalists know how that process works. And it can be, um, and in our role as stand-in for, for the public, you know, there's a real responsibility to make sure we're using public information to help explain and contextualize the issues that are important to, to the public. But, uh, you know, it, it seems like when, when I looked at the results of the Sunshine Week survey, it was truly like all over the map. And it blew me away that out of 31 agencies that you contacted, only six provided enough data that you could really do anything with. And so like that central question of, did the pandemic affect Public Information Act requests? Like, were there fewer? Were there more? Were they delayed? Like, what do you walk away with the the overarching sort of thought from a project like this? Well, I'll, I'll take that on because there's actually a, a fair amount of gray in what we did. You know, sometimes, as I said, it's a matter of working with the agency to find out what you can agree on that you want, as opposed to them sending you sending them something and them saying, we don't have it, but it turns out you've worded it in a slightly different way. We ran into that in a very big way because we put in a request for average response time We would, and it was under the Public Information Act. Now the PIA says that government bodies are required to share records. And that was a key. A lot of responses came back that said, we have no responsive record to that. And that's because they don't actually have a document where they've calculated it, written on that document and preserved it. What it would have meant is crunching data. And that's for the ones that even have that level of data, which many didn't. But as Luciana said, Howard County handed over um, spreadsheets 
The spreadsheet was a record, but the question that we wanted of average response time wasn't a record. And many used that as a, as a shield. No, I don't have to answer that. The responsive ones, the ones that wanted to help you, and there was one state agency in particular that asked, answered in that same way. We do not have a record that responds to that. However, what you're looking for is this. So here's that information. So that's the gray. I mean, you could get shut mm -hmm. down by a technicality and then you don't get what you want. But if you talk through it, or if they're willing to work with you, you can, you can adjust your response if they need it. Mm -hmm. So like in some ways it almost feels like because they would have had to do some number crunching, the, like they just don't, manage the number of requests that they get. They don't, they don't track the information that you're looking for. Um, and, you know, sort of writ large, it feels like records management is all over the map. Like if, if one is trying to track the, the level of effort or know how, how much personnel or economic resources to put towards a project, one would think a central piece of information would be how much work is there to do? So can you guys talk about what that feels like as a, or, or how that impacts in your perception, public records and then transparency if, if agencies aren't even tracking their requests? What, what's the net effect of that for, for the public? Uh, Lucy, I go ahead. I have an answer too, but I'll let you go first. Yeah. So to make sure I'm getting your question correctly, you're saying that the varied responses and fees provided in overall responses, um, what's the net effect of that? Is that the question? Well, sort of like why it was so all over the map. To me, it sounds like they're just not tracking that information at all, that you got so many non-responses. And one would think that they would want to track it if it's important to them to manage this flow of requests and information in any cogent way. And so I'm curious as to like how that, what the effect of that is on the public. Yeah, so I personally believe the PIA is meant to allow people to get a glimpse into government and, you know, promote transparency. So when there are varied responses and you have to take care of how you word a specific thing or you request a specific document, depending on whether they track that data, you know, in a, in a form that they currently have, it creates a lot of issues because while Andy said, yes, if you have a relationship with a person, you might be able to get that data. I don't think it should be that way. I think if you're requesting something and they have it in a similar format or they have that data in a way that it shouldn't be too complex to provide, I think the nature of the PIA is to get that information out there and it shouldn't mm -hmm. be based on relationships or expertise in the way you word it. I don't know if I'm quite answering your question, but I wanted to just throw that out there. And that's my big takeaway from that. I have some expertise in managing PIAs, so I may even have a slight edge over maybe the majority of citizens, but still, it was still complex. Right. Sure. Again, more gray to, to examine in this. And that's because if you want to go strictly by numbers on how to manage your, your records response system by how many you get, 
A lot of agencies answered that question. I don't, I don't know that we came up with a specific number, but when we share what we've reported, you can see the response that every one of them gave in a sidebar that we did, both in our summary and then through a link to the actual records if you want to see more detail. If we were to have just limited that to how many PIA requests did you get in calendar year 2019 or in 2019-20, most of them can answer that. But what Mm -hmm. we wanted was them to calculate average response. So this is a a greater level of interest in efficiency. I don't think government have that across the board. I think that's a, a rare exception to say, you know, let's analyze how we're doing. They're able to provide mm-hmm. records. Now, if we were to have backed up and taken what would be a much more common record, let's just say every school system, we asked for a copy of their superintendent's contract. Well, they all have that. And then it might have been a different outcome. And maybe there's some difficulty in getting them from some or quickly But in the end, we're going to get that in some form from everybody. What we asked was a little bit different. And I don't even fault them for saying there's no specific record. But what it points to is a lack of record keeping and tracking. And that was something that's part of the bill that was that's still pending, which we can talk about that. Well, and and that's a a great point. So for for people who don't no, the Maryland legislature is contemplating major reforms to the Public Information Act. So, and that's going to be in House Bill 183 and in Senate Bill, it's cross file, which is Senate Bill 449. And that that bill has a wide range of, of provisions, some of which are aimed at dispute resolution, some of them aimed, it, there was a, a strong provision aimed at record keeping and records management, which was actually struck from the bill this week. And but we do feel like the the changes that are coming about to give more power, more jurisdiction to the the Public Information Act Compliance Board, which can adjudicate disputes between requesters and custodians, will will ultimately really help gain a more equitable access for people to government information. But, you know, as working journalists, you all have have seen that bill and it actually it, it just so happens that you know sunshine week coincides with the legislative session so we always get to talk a little bit about bills that we're that we're we're working on but as working journalists what would meaningful dispute resolution mean to you when you're unable to get the records that you're looking for well i mean part of what was included in this bill and i guess it's still in there is looking at the what type of outlet do you have? If you put in a request and you're denied, what can you do? There's supposed to be a, a uh, automatic appeal. If you don't think this was correct, you can appeal, um, and I believe within that agency. But what some of them will tell you is if you think you've been denied, then take us to court. And that is something that is outside the means of a lot of newsrooms or individual journalists, or if you're a freelancer. Just to turn it into a court case is not very practical. One thing that Maryland has now is an ombudsman, and that position was created about five years ago. 2015, yep. 2015, who is 
a mediator. Um, if you have a resolution, now you have somebody who can get involved and find out what is happening. By coincidence, we put in my newsroom put in a request for the for mediation on something you know several weeks ago, and we just heard back this week from the ombudsman Lisa Kirshner, who's going to help figure out an answer to our solution. So we're seeing it firsthand. That is not binding. It's meant to, you know, dispute resolution is how can you come to a common understanding. And then there's a PIA compliance board, which will hear certain requests, but it's a pretty high bar. If you are charged money that you don't think you should be charged, you can't automatically get them to hear your case unless it's at least $350, which is a pretty high level. So all of those things combined don't add up to a whole lot of ability to to get your request heard or, or figured out if you've been denied. So it, it's it's easy for somebody to deny you and then not have to have any repercussions after that. It does feel sometimes like custodians kind of hold all the cards because, you know, from a journalism perspective, even if money wasn't an object, time is an object. And so right now, like if you're on a deadline, if you're trying to, to, to bring something home or figure out that missing piece in the, the primary documents of, of government, really, under the PIA, custodians have 30 days to get back to you. They can kind of wait out the clock and then say, oh, we're not going to do that. And if you don't like it, okay, you don't like it, take us to court and and just kind of wait out that clock. And I'm not trying to say that that custodians are bad actors and are trying to shield information. I know there's a lot of competing demands for time on all of us, but it is, you know, time is of the essence when you're dealing with news stories within the public interest. And, you know, I'm curious, like what your experience is on that time factor. Do you feel like sometimes that's used against you? And did you see that in this project? So I guess I'll jump in here. I can speak overall. I think, as you said, the majority of PIOs are trying to help and they also have a lot of requests and are managing their own time crunches. But it is common and I have had it happen a lot where I'm working on a project and I send the request one day and I follow up immediately and I keep following up in the hopes of getting some sort of idea of whether that request is in the right place or if they think that they will potentially be able to provide those records. And what I mean by following up is calling, emailing, you know, being present there. And I have had situations where I receive absolutely no response until the very last day. So 30 days later in the case of Maryland, telling me that they have no records responses to my request and that I can file, you know, with a district court or reach out to an, the ombudsman. I, that's not the majority of the cases, but it has happened enough to really derail a lot of projects because as a journalist, you're shifting focus on your reporting constantly. So knowing some information a week earlier can can have a lot of effect. In the case mm. of this project, yes, there were a few organizations and jurisdictions that I believe waited pretty long or long, like, you know, two, three weeks into the request to give a response that they could not provide the records. Uh, so, yeah, that's my take on that. <laughs> Were there people that you never heard from 
Yes, the Department of Education and Arundel County. Um, that was an online form. And then Baltimore City, they did reply, but they said that they had no records related to the request. And those are just from the top of my head. But yeah, there were cases of no responses at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there were some, you know, the, the, the two that don't respond at all, those are the most extreme and like egregious failure to follow anything because the, the Public Information Act gives deadlines, but it also builds in some common sense. And that is if somebody gets a very large request, it shouldn't be treated the same as a simple fact that they're being asked to provide. It could take multiple people. It could take hours. It could take digging up records. And so you're allowed to come back and say that this is going to take longer. There's a a two deadline requirements in the PI, the 10 day and the 30 day. And 30 day is supposed to be to reply at all, but you also have 10 days to say that you don't think you're going to meet that timeline. And it's just, a, it's, it's meant to be a courtesy, but it's codified. We found total, <laughs> totally ignoring our requests. We found people who said, I'm going to take the full 30 days or close to it. And then we never hear from them again. We, hear, we found people who went past the 10 day limit two weeks in just to say, uh, you know what, I, I don't think we're going to meet this or we don't have records. I and mean, why does it take you two weeks to say we don't have records? I mean, it's, it, it, it illustrated this project much more illustrated the response to requests than anything that had to do with the pandemic or what our original theory was. We couldn't come anywhere close to figuring out what the trends were for the pandemic because there's no data that supports it. But this mm-hmm. turned out to be very interesting and, and illustrative of the range of how people respond and how they treat the need to respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Oh, I'm sorry, Luciana, did you want to add something? Yes. So one case that was really, you know, kind of illustrates this disparity in the responses. And again, this may be because there is actually you know, limited staff that can fulfill the request, or it's just difficult varying on how they track the request. But Allegheny County Public Schools sent back their complete response to our records request within 24 hours. On wow. the flip side, you have Harford County Public Schools that it took a bit to get the response. And when they did reply, they were um, wanting to charge a 700 dollar fee um, because it would take, you know, limited resources from their staff, from their school staff. So, you know, it can vary depending on how it's tracked and what the time crunches of each organization are, but this really just illuminates and shows the disparity and how it's a lot of gray, like Andy was saying. Yeah, for sure. Well, and in our show notes, we'll have links to the story and the sidebar and and the great interactive map that Luciana created so that people can see sort of the the original the, the original requests and, and what we got back. Um, and as we wind down, I just, I kind of want to end on maybe a philosophical note because we are in Sunshine Week. And so like transparency is such a core value of journalism, of government, and, and Open Records really provides that 
like those those primary documents of what actually happened to provide context and guidance to um to the issues that people feel really strongly about. And so I wanted uh, you all each to to share what you think, like why why does it matter that we are working for transparency and why does Sunshine Week, you know, how is that even applicable to a population that it, it feels like can be really stymied in this process. Like it feels like it takes extra technical knowledge. It feels like you have to know the words to use to unlock it. Like what's the role of sunshine and transparency in your mind? And and why are we, why are we doing this? Um, Andy, you want to go first? I see you nodding. Sure. sure. Uh, Well, you know, a a lot of this goes to uh, a cultural approach to information and what we end up locked in is this adversarial approach that we're the interlopers and we're knocking on your door and asking you to open up these files and or we'll wait outside on your porch as you gather them and this is all yours and it's in your possession but please 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 could we see them but what it really should be is the opposite approach and that is that information about government belongs to the people who are governed and the caretakers are there to take good care of it and use it in ways that are helpful to budgeting, to buy contracts and so forth. And and then they keep these records, but they're keeping them for the, the community. And when the community comes to ask about them, the first response needs to be, yes, how can I help you? Instead of looking for the ways I can't help you and you're going to hope we don't find the loopholes that allow us to get there, it should be the, the default is this is all public. But the law does allow certain things to be withheld for good reason. If it's private information, if it's confidential, it jeopardizes a land deal or it has somebody's identifying information, you know, then you can cite those instances. And there's also the big factor of time and labor that goes into it. And, you know, we certainly can understand and appreciate that if many responses come in, it forces the government to act upon them and that they can be very large. That's why when we get a, a charge of $700, they outline that it's going to take 12 hours in, in each case and 12 hours in the other case, and this adds up to all that money. Now, that's debatable about whether you need to spend 24 hours to figure out average response time for PIAs. I mean, that's just, that that might be stretching it. But if there are real large, legitimate, and consuming requests, this is a strain on government. So that's where the common sense part comes in. That's where you negotiate. It's going to take me a long time to get this, would you want to limit it to this? Or you talk back and forth. We, we just found everything that you're looking for to redact it and go through it. It's going to take this amount of time. It's going to take this cost. What do you want to do? But that's where the approach comes in. I'm here to help you, not to get in your way and not just fend off this request until you leave me alone and I can do my job. So that, that I think that's the overarching part is who who owns this information and why does it matter? I mean, it matters for the public to be informed. And when they want answers about their government, they get answers about their government. Mm-hmm. 
No, it makes perfect sense. Luciana, do you have anything that you want to add on why you think this is an, an important exercise to do? Yeah. So I like the idea of ending on a philosophical note. So <laughs> on that note, I think, you know, there's lots of theories that talk about consent to the government. So as citizens, we give consent to the government to rule us. So as citizens, we should be entitled, not entitled, but we should have access and we should be able to request and get a lot of information if we're looking for it. Uh, it is what is basically governing us. It does affect our lives directly. It's not that we're asking to know about details that don't pertain to us. Um, for that reason, I think the law should be transparent and it should help the average citizen get information that is, you know, logical. It's not going to affect national security or certain things that maybe is out of the scope of the PIA, but it should overall mm -hmm. give access to citizens. While that does happen in certain cases, it does not happen across the board. And there are cases where it's really difficult to understand what is going on, even at a local level, what is going on near your hometown, what is going on. Just a lot of information that is not easy to access at time. So <laughs> that's my philosophical note there. <laughs> I want to just throw in, this is an example. This goes back years and years ago when, when MDDC um, had a series of audits last year or that year we would have people um, deceive anybody, but they would, as average citizens, go and, and ask for a particular record that clearly was public um, just to see what the response was going to get. And this one example always stuck in my mind. This is when I first started at the Herald Mail. It was about 20 years ago. Um, one of our reporters asked for a copy of the superintendent's contract. And what happened is that he was denied on the spot. Um, maybe there was a written process and, and there were responses back and forth. But what happened is he ended up getting a phone call from the superintendent at his home in Virginia. Now, he, he lived in Winchester, I think, and he worked in Hagerstown. The superintendent wanted to know why he was asking for his contract. I mean, just think about that. Think about how intimidating. Oh my God, that's bold. And think about the, the yes. lack of commitment to records that you're going to put up this kind of wall and you're going to question people. All of this is totally not allowed in the Public Information Act, but there it is. And it's, it's almost like this wall is set off and we're here doing our thing. We just don't want to invite you when to do it. And sometimes people find their way in, but we're going to try to fight it off. That's the approach that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that uh, that blows me away. I mean, even 20 years ago, that, that's shocking, um, shocking there. Yeah. Um, I think what, what I'm hearing you both say is, is, of course, the information belongs to the people and the Public Information Act really shines a light into what's important to people. Uh, and because government affects people's lives in, in so many ways, and they want to know, you know, why decisions get made or how decision gets, gets made, or even what that decision is. And the Public Information Act is, is an amazing tool, but it's really unevenly applied. And so it almost sets up the everyday person for failure because you don't know like the secret words to unlock things, or you wouldn't necessarily understand like, 
oh, well, that's not a record. And so it, it kind of, I think in, in some ways, this really underscores for me the importance of journalism because journalists stand in for the public. You know, we're, we're kind of shaping that conversation in some ways, hearing what's important and then going and, and doing the research and doing the reporting and finding the facts to help explain it to people. Because, you know, it, Luciana spent, it sounded like, you know, just doing the follow-up is a full-time job just to get some of this information out. And that's a really high bar for, for individuals. So I thank you both so much for, for coming to talk to me today and for doing the project. I mean, without you two, we would not have had a terrific Sunshine Week project at MDDC. And I thank you so much for lending your expertise and your time for doing that. And I hope that all of our listeners go and read the reports and look at the source documents. So thank you very much. They will be shared with member uh, news organizations within Maryland, but also on our website. So somebody did ask me about that. Where can I see it? Do I need to be a subscriber anywhere? And the answer is no. You just need to go to the MDDC website and it will be posted there. Right. So that's mddcpress.com. And then um, we do offer this package to all of our members, which is virtually all the newspapers and their associated websites and online publications throughout Maryland. Um, We also cover Delaware and D.C., although this project was more specifically Maryland. And so you'll see it throughout the week of Sunshine Week, which is March 14th through the 20th. So thanks again. And thank you, Andy, for uh, reminding me to, to, to talk about where they can actually see it. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, guys. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening to Five Dubs with Rebecca Snyder. Please subscribe and leave us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts so that others can find us. What do you want to know about local journalism? Email me at rsnyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, at mddcpress.com. Interested in supporting our podcast and journalism? Please donate to our 501c3 Press Foundation. Find out more and see the full episode list and show notes at www.5-dubs.com.